morning. If I said that we live in tumultuous times, would you agree with me? If I said we live in a divisive and, I don't know, just an interesting day and age, would you agree with me? I don't know if as you get older, you notice this more and more, but as I have gotten a little older, I notice that things are different than they ever were. And this last year has been something I've never experienced before. And I don't know if it's going to get better or get any different this next year. I, I don't know. Last year, I thought it would. And so far this year, things are kind of the same and in some ways better and in some ways not so much better. And so as I thought about that since the last time I was up here and see that a lot of people are thinking about that and that a lot of people are trying to figure out what do we do? Um, the future seems uncertain. Things aren't quite going the way we hoped they would be going. Um, I thought that instead of uh, breaking off and going into some whole new section of, of our daily Bible reading that I would... Um, do a, a part two to, um, to the Abraham story. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Genesis 22 and, and we saw Abraham and Isaac and we looked at the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. And the title of that was God won't give you more than he can handle. And this is God won't give you more than he can handle part two. Um, we're going to look a little bit ahead into Genesis, a little bit of a different time. We're going to look at a different character. But I think that what we're going to look at today is the continuation of what Abraham learned in Genesis 22 and what we learned about God in Genesis 22. So as I was preparing, and we're going to be uh, starting in Genesis 39 if you want to turn there, but we're going to be looking at Joseph's life, a couple of different spots. But as I was preparing um, and as I was thinking of of what I'm seeing on social media and, and from people I know and, and hearing questions and, and what I'm thinking myself, you know, what can I do right now? What can I do? I, I thought of this quote and, and I want to read it to you. It's from um, the Lord of the Rings. It's from the Fellowship of the Ring, the first book in the Lord of the Rings story. If you don't know the story, um, this is a epic book, epic story about terrible, terrible evil trying to destroy good. And in this story, there's a hobbit named Frodo, and he is tiny, literally little compared to everybody else in this story. Hobbits are really small. Hobbits like to farm, they like to eat, and they like to stay at home and do nothing else. And Frodo, this hobbit, is thrust into this huge epic story. And Frodo has a ring, and it's just a little golden ring. It looks like nothing. It looks like nothing special. He has this ring. And he has a friend named Gandalf who's this powerful, wise wizard who comes to him one day. He says, Frodo, let me tell you about this ring you have. And the ring that Frodo has turns out to be the embodiment of pure evil. He didn't know it. He didn't mean to have it. It just was kind of came into his possession. But it is the power by which the Lord of the ring, that's, you know, the main bad guy, once he gets this ring, he can kill all good in the world and evil will reign. And so if you imagine Frodo just living his life, 
doing his thing. And all of a sudden he finds out one day that he has in his possession, the one thing that every evil creature in this world is looking for and trying to hunt him down for. You can imagine how shocked he would be. And in that moment, when Gandalf's telling him exactly what he has in his possession, he realizes that his life has changed and it's never going to be exactly the same as it was before. And things look pretty bleak. So I want to read you this section that I thought about when I was looking at Joseph's life. that I think it's just so perfect for this. And this is so relatable because I think oftentimes this last year and still right now this year, I've thought this too. Gandalf's telling him all about the ring and the evil that's coming and the terrible, terrible things that could happen. And Frodo sits down and he says this. He says, I wish, I wish this ring had never come to me. I wish this had never happened in my time. Social media, I see people saying that all the time. Do you say that? Do you look around at what's going on in this world and say, man, I wish things were back to the way they were. I wish it wasn't so bleak out there. I wish things were different. I wish I didn't have to experience what's going out, going on out in this world. I've said that. And then Gandalf, the wise wizard, says this. He says, Frodo, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. We don't get to choose the situations we come into. We don't have control over every situation we face. We don't get to decide if we want to experience it or not. Sometimes these things just happen. He says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. I think Joseph, in Genesis 39, Genesis chapter 40, 41, and 45 and 50, which we're going to look at. I think Joseph echoes that thought. I think God echoes that thought in his word, that idea that you might not like the situation you find yourself in. It might seem so overwhelming. You can't find a possible avenue or road out. But God says, are you, what are you going to Well, he asked, what are you going to do? with the time you've been given? What are you going to do with the situation that I've put you in? What we learned from Abraham in Genesis 22 was that God's going to give us lots of things we can't handle, but he's never going to give us anything he can't handle. He's going to face, he may face you with an impossible task like he did with Abraham. Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, the fulfillment of the promise I made. I want you to do that in honor of me. And Abraham had a choice. He could trust God, that God would handle the situation, or he could not trust God. And we learned that he trusted God. And we spent a lot of time talking about how we need to trust the goodness of God and the fact that he can handle any situation he puts in front of you. But one thing I mentioned at the end that I want to uh, focus on for the rest of, of today is this, also this idea that Abraham had a choice in how he acted how he responded. He responded with trust, but he also had an opportunity to respond in faith, faithful obedience. He could have said, well, I trust that God's good, but I don't think I want to do that. But he didn't do that, did he? He said, I, th I believe God is good. I believe God can raise the dead. So I will make that three-day trip. I will get everything ready. 
I'll take my son, put him on the altar, and I will even plunge the knife into him. Because I believe that what I can do, what I need to do in this situation is to faithfully obey the Lord. Now that's a pretty, um, a pretty crazy scenario. God doesn't put that kind of a scenario in front of everybody, does he? He doesn't ask everybody to sacrifice their son to him. But you see, faithful obedience has to happen in the small obstacles we face, in the small situations we come in contact with, in the small things, as well as the big things. And I think Joseph shows us that in big hard situations that require only a miracle to get us through. We must act faithfully and also in the small personal things that might not seem big to anybody else, but us, but we need to act faithfully in those as well. That's what the Lord would have us do. Frodo couldn't see how things could get better or what he needed to do. He was overwhelmed and he felt hopeless. And Gandalf said, Frodo, you just have to decide what you're going to do about the situation you're in. And I think for the child of God, there's only one avenue out, and Joseph's going to show us that. The only avenue through hard times, through hardships, great and small, through suffering, through uncertain futures, through pain, the only way out is faithful obedience to God. Let me illustrate that for you in Joseph's life. So in, in, in Genesis 39, we pick up kind of uh, a little ways into Joseph's story. And you know that Joseph didn't get along with his brothers. In fact, they hated him because he was their father's favorite. And so they threw him in a pit. Nice brotherly thing to do to kill him. But then they decided, well, okay, we won't go so far as to kill him, but we'll sell him into slavery into Egypt. So they do that. And that's Genesis 38. And then in Genesis 39, we're going to pick up in verse 1, and it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So imagine that you, as 17, 18-year-old you, thrown in a pit by your family that you couldn't get out of, uh, then gotten out of and sold into slavery. You didn't ever get to say goodbye to your dad. You didn't get to say goodbye to anybody, really. You were just taken and you were kidnapped, basically, and sent far away from your home. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine what you would be thinking to yourself at night as you got closer and closer to Egypt and closer and closer to becoming a slave. Imagine what you would be thinking. This, that day uh, back in 30, Genesis 38 when he was in the pit, that day started out so differently in Joseph's mind. And it turned into something he was completely not expecting. He was overwhelmed by the circumstances that God brought into his life. So he's sold to Potiphar and he becomes, uh, he becomes a slave there. And look at verse 2. And it says this, The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. The only avenue forward that Joseph saw was to honor the Lord in faithful Obedience. Now, 
the Joseph we see in, in Genesis 37 and 38 is very different than the Joseph we see in, in chapter 39. Um, in 38, you can, he kind of, you get this feeling that he really revels in his dad's love and the fact that he's the favorite. And he really just seems like, like he is happy to be number one and he doesn't really care what his brothers think. And his main goal is to go and get them into trouble a lot of the time. But between being thrown in that pit and getting to Potiphar's house, there is a change in Joseph. I'm going to guess it's a heart change in Joseph where he realizes that the only way to make this situation that I find myself in, the only way to make these circumstances tolerable, bearable, worth anything, is to faithfully obey the Lord. And without saying that directly, we see that, right? He was successful in all that he did. So whatever task Joseph got when he first got to Potiphar's house, it would have been something very lowly. Whatever task that was, he did it in a way that honored God and people took notice. He obeyed the Lord. He worked well. I assume he was an ethical, moral, honest, reliable worker, something that slaves back then probably generally didn't act like, and masters certainly weren't, would not be used to having a slave who worked like that. But Joseph was faithfully obedient in honoring God and knowing that God said, if you're going to work, work well. And if you're going to, you must always be honest. You must act ethically. You must act morally. And Joseph's character was so outstanding that Potiphar turned him into basically the second in command. I mean, we're going to see in a few more verses here that, um, uh, Joseph owned, uh, he didn't own the house. That was like the only thing he didn't do. He didn't own anything, but he ran it all. It was all his anyway. That's how much authority he had. So Joseph's situation turns into something much better when he is faithfully obedient to the Lord. But I love the story of Joseph because it matches real life so well. <laughs> Because watch what happens even though he's faithful. Go down to verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, so Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said to him, Lie with me. But he refused. And Joseph said to the wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. And basically what he's saying there is Potiphar trusted Joseph so much that he didn't know what was going on in his own house because he knew Joseph would handle whatever it was. And Joseph would make sure everything was good. And Joseph would make sure everything ran well. So Potiphar didn't have to care about what was going on. He could do other things. So he says, look, my master does not know what's going on in here. That also means that there would be no repercussions if Joseph did what what this lady wanted him to do, right? I mean, he could have hid that. He makes this house run. There's no trouble he would have gotten in for doing this thing. But here's where we see Joseph's character, and here's how I know that he is fully committed to faithful obedience in the Lord, no matter what his circumstance is. Because he says, there's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar. Not that. He's not worried about what Potiphar would think. He's worried about what God would think of his actions. The reason Joseph won't do this thing is because it's a sin against God. 
That is a completely different person than we read about in Genesis 37 and 38. And Joseph is so convinced at his core that he must honor the Lord faithfully. I think maybe he realized that the only way through the situation he found himself in as a slave in Egypt was to honor God. Because maybe he realized that God gave him something he couldn't handle, but God didn't give Joseph anything God couldn't handle. So if God can handle the situation that I'm in, I must trust God and I must faithfully obey him. That was his only recourse. That was the only way through, I think, Joseph understood. Uh, in verse 10, it says, So it was, she spoke to Joseph day by day. He did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. She didn't stop. She didn't stop asking. He has this great heroic moment that you and I look at and we say, wow, I wish I could act like that. I wish that's what I would say in every situation, right? Something we want to strive to be like. He has this great heroic moment, but it doesn't change anything. She doesn't stop. She continues to try to tempt him to sin against the Lord. Go down to verse 19. So it was, oh, what, I, well, let me explain first. <laughs> So you know what happens, right? So he continually says, no, no, no. And one day there's this dramatic episode where she comes in and almost tries to force herself upon him and he runs away, just turns and runs. And slaves were not supposed to refuse their masters or their master's wives anything. So she is greatly, greatly offended. I think she's also greatly offended at his righteous behavior. And so she runs and she lies and she accuses Joseph of trying to come on to her instead. And Potiphar is upset and he believes her and he doesn't believe Joseph. And so it was in verse 19 when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. This is just like real life, isn't it? I mean, I mean, it's history, so yeah, it's just like real life. But sometimes we think like when we read about these people in the Bible, they're going through things we don't go through at all. They experience things we don't experience. How often have you experienced where you do the right thing for the right reasons, and instead of being rewarded for it, you're punished for it? I mean, that's a reality of the world we live in today, right? Standing for the Lord is seen as the worst thing you could possibly do in many cases. Doing right is seen as laughable, as silly, as stupid, as offensive. And Joseph ex is experiencing that. Now, he, he has a moment here. He has an opportunity in between uh, verse 20 and 21 where he could then say, okay, I acted faithfully. I faithfully obeyed the Lord the way I thought he would want me to act. He was with me. We were, we were, we were, uh, things were going well. Everything was great. But acting in that way cost me everything. And in between verse 20 and 21, he could say, I give up. It's not worth it. Why keep going? Now I'm in a worse position than I was. I mean, if you get thrown in jail, that's probably one of your first thoughts. What did I do to end up here, and why did I do that? 
In verse 21, though, it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Something interesting that I've glossed over many times now, I realize, reading this story. Uh, a little detail that I never really noticed before was back in verse 20, where it said he gets placed into prison. It's a place where the king's prisoners were confined. Basically, this is the, if you're going to prison in Egypt, this is the prison you want to be in. Because this is where um, the higher-ups go. And this is like a house arrest type thing, right? Rather than sitting in a cold, dark cell, a terrible common prison, Joseph was able to go to a prison that actually mattered to people. You go to prison and you get forgotten about and thrown away and you probably die there. But this is a prison where people of interest went that were important to the Pharaoh. Joseph's not important to the Pharaoh, but if you know the story, he's going to be. But if he was just in some common prison, who knows what would have happened to him when Pharaoh needed him? Right? I mean, you're going to see this, and you know the story already probably, but this, the, the events that happen, there is a mercy here that I never considered before that God put Joseph in the king's prison. So even though Joseph suffered for doing right, the Lord was still with him in that fact. But it says the Lord was with him and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keepers of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in that prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. In between those verses where he first gets thrown into prison and then... He decides what to do next. Joseph again, again, a second time, is convinced in his core, in his heart, that it is more important to faithfully honor and obey God in my circumstance than to sit here in despair or discouragement or raise my fist and say, why did this happen? Or not do anything at all. Joseph is convinced in his heart that the only way forward is to honor God faithfully and obey him. I did, um, after I got done looking at this chapter, I went back and I highlighted um, phrase, uh, certain phrases, anything that had God was with or God did this. And um, what I came up with was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different times throughout that chapter. So almost tw a little over 21 verses. So almost three times, average of three times, a section, I guess. The author of Genesis wants you to know, I think Joseph would say he would want you to know, Moses, who wrote Genesis, wants you to know that God was with Joseph in every situation. He says it over and over and over again. That's actually a theme that you find in Joseph's life that he always says, God is with me. God was in this. And the writer always points out, the Lord does this. We need to take encouragement in the fact that no matter the situation you find yourself in, as bleak as it might be, as crushing as it might feel, as painful as it might seem, God is with his people at all times, and he's continually working so what can we do? What can we do? What do we do with the time that we have? Like Joseph, like Abraham did too, we need to faithfully obey the Lord. 
Look at uh, chapter 40. Here's another situation. Okay, so Joseph's in prison. He's in a good prison, the better prison, but he's in prison. It's not easy. It's not great, but it could be a whole lot worse. And he's in prison and he's so uh, good at what he does. And he's so honest and he's so trustworthy that basically he's running this prison. He ran Potiphar's house. Now he's running the prison that he's a prisoner in. He's running this prison. And verse 1 says, It came to pass after these things that the butler and baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. <laughs> the guard tells a prisoner, All right, you guard them. <laughs> the, the power of God is astounding. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. And and you know, if you know the story, the butler and the baker are upset. They're having dreams. They're having dreams they can't understand, and they think that there's a message in there, but they just don't understand what they mean. And they're upset, and Joseph, who's taking care of them, um, notices, picks up on the fact that that, that there's a problem, that they're having issues, and he asks them about it. He says, what's going on? Uh, can, Can I help you in any way? And they said to him in verse um, eight, eight, we each have had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, so just in case you were thinking that, okay, Joseph decided to honor God in prison and he started to um, get elevated and he was given a lot of responsibility and he was actually enjoying a pretty decent life, maybe the best life you could ima- you could hope for in prison. Uh, just in case you were, um, were wondering whether or not he was still Acting faithfully to the Lord, Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. There's a couple more times where we're going to look at dreams where he says that same thing. It's a little thing. You might gloss over it, but it's so important. Joseph could have easily taken credit for the fact that he's able to interpret these dreams. I mean, people are astounded by this ability that he has. But Joseph never forgets that everything he has is because of the Lord and the Lord is sustaining him and keeping him. And that right there is another act of faithful obedience. That is humility in the face of the power of God. When Joseph could have used that to his advantage, he still pointed everything back to the Lord. So he interprets the dreams and one of them is going to die, he says, and one of them is going to be restored and lived. And to the one who is going to be restored... He says to him, after he interprets the dream, he says, please, this is Joseph talking, please remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me in to the dungeon. So you got to imagine that, that the guy was like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember you. I remember you. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the good news. Thanks for giving me the good news. And then in verse 20, uh, 23, at the end of this chapter, after the baker goes and he dies and the butler gets out and he doesn't die, it says this, yet the butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. As I was thinking about this interaction in this situation, I, I wonder if Joseph thought when he was giving the interpretation, when he was talking to these guys, I wonder if he thought, wow, God just brought a way out for me here. God's going to help me interpret these dreams. This guy's going to remember me and I'm going to get out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
But what's it say? The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then in verse one of the next chapter, it says, it came to pass at the end of two full years. Joseph was given hope. He thought he had some hope. He thought he had a way out. And he said, please remember me. The butler goes off. And for two years, I imagine Joseph was waiting for that call. And for two years, he remained in prison. It seemed like things were going to get better. And then they didn't get better. That salvation never came. So here's another opportunity for Joseph in between these verses to say, you know what? I'm just not going to care anymore. I'm just done. God, you've brought me through so many things. God, you've, uh, you've shown me so many things. You've sustained me so many times, but I am at the end of my rope. I just can't go any further down this road. Have you ever felt that way? I wonder if right now in our day and age, a lot of people feel that way. When it seems like things are going to get better and then they just keep getting harder or they keep getting worse. So how does Joseph respond to all this? So at the end of two, four years, Pharaoh has a dream and, and he doesn't understand what the dream means. And so he's asking his advisors, the guys who are supposed to be able to tell him what he needs to know. Um, he's asking them, what does it mean? And they can't answer. And then the butler remembers Joseph who conveniently is in the king's prison, easily gotten by the king, not thrown away, forgotten somewhere. He's also elevated to a high position, so he's well taken care of, and he's not going to die or be forgotten, conveniently. And he says, hey, there's this guy in prison, Joseph, and he interpreted my dream, and it came true, and you should probably go ask him. And he says that in verse 12. And so in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. There is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So two years later, Joseph finally gets a call. You've got to imagine he's excited, right? I am finally going to get out of prison. I've got to go talk to Pharaoh. And then he's met with, it's the dream situation. It's the, the, no pun intended. It's a dream situation for him. It's the best thing that could happen for him. He's going to get to use this ability, this talent that he has to impress the Pharaoh. And who knows what kind of opportunities that's going to open up. But instead, again, there's temptation there to take credit for it. Instead of that, he says this first thing he says to Pharaoh is Pharaoh, it's not me doing any of this. It is God. God will give you the answer. I think only a faithfully obedient man of God could say something like that with confidence. So I don't think Joseph, even after two more years in prison, let his circumstances change his heart, his belief, his mission, that he needed to faithfully obey the Lord in all things because that was his only way through. So uh, Pharaoh tells the, the dreams and, and um, Joseph interprets them and says that there is seven years of plenty coming for Egypt. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. So in the seven years of plenty, we need to get ready for the seven years of famine. We need to start stockpiling things. We need to get food ready so that people can come and get food. Egypt can be saved and people around can be saved from the terrible thing that's coming. I want you to notice again, want you to notice again, how many times 
this idea, this phrase or a concept that God is doing this comes up, right? We saw when, it, when Joseph said, God will give you the answer, right? And then in verse 25, he says, God has shown Pharaoh this. And in verse 28, he says, God has shown Pharaoh this. And in verse 32, he says, this thing is established by God and God will bring it to pass. You can't convince me that Joseph wasn't convinced in his heart that he must rely on God through faithful obedience, telling the truth when he needed to tell it, living the truth when he needed to live it, doing the truth when he needed to do it, believing the truth when he needed to believe it. And so after all that, Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he says, Joseph, you're going to be the guy who makes this all happen. He says in verse 38, um, can we find such a one as this in, in whom is the spirit of God? And Pharaoh said, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, Joseph, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over. Listen, this is insane. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Okay. He's sold into slavery and he's a slave. And then he basically becomes the master of the house that he works in. He gets thrown into prison and he's a prisoner and he basically becomes the master of the jail. He's in Egypt, this lowly Hebrew who his brothers wanted to kill now is essentially the Pharaoh of Egypt. The only thing he doesn't have is that official title. Otherwise he is the ruler of Egypt. This happens through many ups and downs in his life. Many opportunities in which Joseph had the, the chance to say, I'm done. I, I can't go on any more. And I think when those thoughts crept in, I imagine Joseph said, I can't go on but God won't ever give me anything he can't handle. So in his power, I can go on. Through faithful obedience to the Lord, Joseph is elevated. And because of that, sometimes he's thrown down, but he's elevated again and he's thrown down and he's elevated again. And this is the final, there's nowhere to go higher for Joseph now. This is it. He's reached the top and, the, and it's filled with the statements that the Lord did all these things. There was one more section I wanted to look at, but, but we, I don't think we have time, but it's where he reconciles with his brothers. And I'm just would like to point out that that is a testament to the fact that it doesn't matter how grand the scale of your situation is being in front of Pharaoh and saving the, saving the land of Egypt. That's like a grand scale, right? That's where we think, yeah, God's God works miracles in those situations. And he does. And he did, but there's personal intimate details of our lives, situations of our lives where God also works and we're called to be faithfully obedient when everyone's looking and we're called to be faithfully obedient when hardly no one is looking. Those are the only way through situations that you can't handle, but God can. Abraham made that three-day journey to sacrifice Isaac, I believe, in faith. In faithful obedience to God, he said, that's the only way I could do this because everything else in my heart and mind is saying, do not do this thing. But he said, because my love for God is so important to me and because I want to honor him, I will do it. 
And what's also interesting to note is that even though he, Abraham acted like that and, and, and Joseph acts like that, and that's how we're supposed to act, notice that it's always God supplying the power, supplying the spirit of willingness, supplying the way through to do it. Abraham wasn't great in faith because of Abraham. Joseph wasn't a hero of the faith because of Joseph. But it was because God helped him be, helped them be faithfully obedient to what God asked of them. So, in the middle of whatever storm you might be in, in the middle of whatever impossible situation you might be facing or facing in the future, and in the middle of uncertainty for the future, which we probably all feel, if you're a child of God, you don't have to fear those things. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to be downcast. You don't have to be depressed. Those are natural feelings. Not saying don't feel them, but what I'm saying is don't stay there. Don't let those things stop you from doing the good work that God has called you to do. God won't give you anything more than he can handle. And everything he serves up for you, he calls you and empowers you to act in faithful obedience. If you will do that. So think about this, whatever the Lord has given you to control, Joseph controlled a few things in his life, but he didn't control everything. Whatever the Lord has given you to control in your life, act faithfully in that role. And whatever the Lord has given you that you can't control, which Joseph experienced a lot of, act faithfully in that role as well. I want to read a final few verses just to end this. If you, if you need more things to do, because that was Frodo's question. I don't know what to do. What can I do? I, 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 I am so inadequate. I can't do anything. I just wish this had never happened so I wouldn't have to deal with this. So here's what God says you can do no matter what the circumstance around you looks like. No matter if you um, are wishing for something better or hoping that, or wishing that we could get back to something better or hoping for um, the, a new time or, or whatever. Moses says this to the people of Israel, and I believe if you're a child of God, this promise also is for you. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. He says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What are you supposed to do? Well, here it is. Here's the answer. Fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord. Why should I do that? How can I know that that's the right thing to do? Heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and also the earth and all that's in it. There's nothing conceivable in this universe that is not under the control and power of our God. The Lord delighted only in you and your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and the Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He won't change what he does. 
He does what he will do. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, you love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. God won't give you anything more than he can handle. And your job, my job, our way through impossible situations is to faithfully obey the Lord. And there's going to come a day you might be, you might be, you might fall a lot like Joseph did. But there is coming an assured day when all the people of God who are faithfully obedient will be elevated when we spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for the examples of these men and women of faith. I pray, Lord, that like Joseph, when we're downtrodden, when things seem to be at their worst, And when we're completely honest and open with you in those moments, Lord, I pray that you would help nudge us towards faithful obedience. That instead of choosing despair and discouragement and worry and fear, that, Lord, we would uh, rest and trust in your good power, your good love, grace, and mercy. Lord, empower your saints to faithfully obey. In the big things, Father, in the small things that no one else might see, Because, Father, that's what you delight in. You delight in faithful servants. We thank you that it's possible through your spirit. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.